Well, he was a popular comedian back in the 1970s. His name was Clero Wilson. Uh, we know, knew him as Flip. And one of the characters he portrayed on the Flip Wilson show was Geraldine. And Geraldine, if you remember, he came out and the and, uh, most famous thing he said, she said was, the devil made me do it. Uh, the devil made me buy that dress. And uh, Flip was a lot of fun and a great show. I watched it when I was a teenager. We're going to talk about demons and the devil. And by the way, that philosophy of the devil made me do it is used quite a bit, more than you might think. There was a Christian uh, singer a few years ago who got caught uh, with some pornography. And uh, his, his explanation was that the demon of lust got a hold of me, which is nothing more than the devil made me do it, which is really nothing more than I'm not taking responsibility for my sin. The devil made me do it. The demon made me do it. So we're going to talk about demons and devils and a little bit in the passage today, but I want to say before I tell you anything that I don't think a Christian should be over-absorbed at all with this, with this demon world. I find a lot of Christians get all focused on that, and they talk about binding Satan and binding demons and the things they say. I don't think a Christian should be absorbed and focused on that at all. We need to be aware that they're real, but our focus must be on Jesus Christ, because greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. Uh, I, I refuse to watch. I, I like a scary, haunted kind of movie like the rest of you, but when I see a movie or a show going demonic, I just turn it off. I want no, no part of that kind of focus. Because if I really believe that demons are real. And they're involved in more activity in this world than we imagine. Uh, it is almost impossible to know, to know if someone's demon-possessed. I mean, you've got the obvious illustrations like Adolf Hitler. I'm sure he had a possession of a devil in him to do what he did. But this is very difficult to place your finger on of who might be mentally ill. There are people that are just mean people. There's no devil or demon involved. They're just mean people. Uh, so how do we know we don't know, really? Where do demons come from? Uh, there's a popular idea that demons are fallen angels. But that's not true. Don't believe that's true. There's no, no verse in the scripture that tells us that. We got that concept and that idea out of church history and from the great uh, English author John Milton in his epic uh, work, Paradise Lost. But as far as the Bible goes, demons aren't fallen angels. Well, where do we get demons from then? There's general consensus among theologians that demons are actually disembodied spirits from an ancient race of people called the Nephilims. Now, if you know your Bible a little bit, back in the days of Noah, it says the sons of God, which I believe are angelic beings, came down and cohabited with earthly women. And there was a race born from that of giants in the land and giants throughout the earth. Now, they died off... Um, 
One classic example is Goliath. Goliath was nine foot plus, massive man. He was one of these ancestors, we believe, of the Nephilim. When these eternal beings died, there was a judgment given them in the book of First Enoch. Don't try to turn in your Bibles. It's not in your Bibles. It's a Jewish historical book. And although it doesn't raise to the level of scripture, it does give us some pretty interesting information about these Nephilim. It's recorded in there that when God judged them and pretty much wiped out that race of people, that he pronounced 70 generations that they would roam the earth under the rocks and behind the trees as demonic beings, these demons. Thus you find in the story today, the demons are going to ask, are you here to torment me before the time, before the end, we believe, of the 70 generations given? So with all that long introduction, turn with me in the book of Matthew, down in chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. And scan your eyes with me down to verse 28. Chapter 8 of Matthew, verse 28. Jesus meets two demon-possessed men. Now the first phrase in verse 28 says, And when he came to the other side, stop there and glance your eyes over to verse 18 of the same chapter. Verse 18 says, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. Now, Jesus was all-knowing, and he knew who was on the other side. That's the bookends of the context that we're looking at. Seeing the crowds, he knew there were two men on the other side of the lake that he wanted to talk to. So he has some interruptions that are divine, and he heals and does some things and talks to some folks. But then in verse 26, it says, and when he came to the other side. Why do I make such a point of that? Because Jesus cares about every human being that ever walked the face of the earth, even the demon-possessed. Even to those who go to the sin of this particular level. And by the way, we, we take upon our assumptions way too freely. Those who are demon-possessed, in our minds, they must have done something to get there. And perhaps they did. Perhaps they went to sin upon sin upon sin, introduced into that world, and finally they were possessed of the devil. But let's not be too quick to judgment. These folks need Jesus Christ. And he's readily there to reach out. He cares about these two men. Notice in verse 28, he says, the boat landed in the country of the Gadarenes. Two demon-possessed men met him. And I want to handle something out of the scripture that um, pagans might, and those who are critics of the Bible might bring up. Uh, this particular story is told in three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Of the other two Gospels, there is no mention of the second man. There's two reasons why. First of all, Mark and Luke were not there. Matthew was. And the second reason is 
that the one was more out front than the others, louder most likely than the other. The one who came and talked to Jesus while the other most likely stood off at a distance. If you weren't there, the whole conversation would have been with one man. But Matthew sees the second man, and he sees him afar off, quieter, but still demon-possessed. Critics of the Bible say, oh, is it one or is it two? Is it, you know, they're like they contradict each other. They don't. It's the one that is going to respond, and the other one never does. But there were two. Matthew saw him. Notice they met him. <laughs> I could just, I picture the disciples in, in the boat going along the shore, finding a place to beach the boat. And they come upon this area that had the tombs and these screaming men, and they were perhaps saying, let's, let's, let's row down the shore a little further before we go in. Let, let's, let's not pull in right here. But Jesus is teaching them, I'm going to where the need is. Those men don't scare me. So the two men met him, and they were coming out of the tombs. Now, tombs back then were not built uh, in the ground. They weren't dug in the ground. They were actually holes in the side of hills, in the side of mountains. And so this rocky shoreline was filled with these, with these holes, these, um, these tombs. Notice, so fierce that no one could pass that way. They'd kind of sectioned off the area. And all the Gadarenes avoided the tombs, avoided this passage. They took other routes because these men were ferocious. Verse 29. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us? O Son of God, have you come here to torment us before the time? I take it to say that the men were not speaking at this time, the demons were. So possessed of these demons, they actually spoke for the man. <laughs> it's scary stuff, terrifying stuff, to be so possessed of the devil that you're carried about. I remember when the Exodus came out. Remember that? Linda Blair spinning her head around in a circle, vomiting pea soup. These men were ferocious. My guess is the other 12, the 12 disciples stayed in the boat when Jesus got out. Or if they had gotten out, they got back in the boat. Or they stood behind Jesus. I remember years ago when we lived over on Crabble Mill and Oscar was alive. There was a noise downstairs and Karen said, go check it. I said, you go check it. She said, no, you go check it. So I got out of the bed and I was creeping down the stairs and I, I you know, where is my Jack Russell? And he was behind me. He was, <laughs> you first, dude. Here are these disciples. You first. You go talk to him. We'll wait right over here. These men were ferocious, but they recognized him. Yeah, the demons knew who he was right off the bat. Verse 30, this is the part of the story we all remember, isn't it? 
This, isn't, this, this is so funny because this is lint on the fabric of the story. This is nothing. It is a part of it, but this is what we remember. Notice verse 30. Now a herd of many pigs. I would have enjoyed the story more if this was a herd of many armadillos. <laughs> I have nothing against pigs. I kind of feel that perhaps demons already are in armadillos, so you can't add them to them. But anyway, I would have enjoyed the story better if it wasn't pigs. I like a good pork sandwich. Notice verse 30. Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance. (laughs) In my margin, I have PETA writing, you know, the fair and ethical treatment of animals. They'd have boycotted this moment. They'd have picketed it. Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. Notice the authority in his voice, the authority in his command. You made the suggestion, Go. Notice, so when they came out and went into the pigs, is that really up there? <laughs> you got me, Sid, or Sammy, or whoever. Hey, show, show them what, a, the, 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 have you got that picture with the, with the pig? We don't know what these pigs look like. There they are. Thank you, that's, that's better. So they came out and went into the bank, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. Pigs floating all over the Sea of Galilee, bobbing up and down. Because a pig would rather die than be demon-possessed. There are those who criticize this story that this was cruel to the animals. I would say this. What value is there to an animal compared to a man? There is no value. God cares about the pigs, but the value of a human life and the freeing of demon possession. I'll tell you another reason why I think this happened like it did. When you're possessed of the devil and none of us, I hope, have never been that experience or never will, if you, if, by the way, if you know Jesus Christ, you cannot be possessed by the devil. Amen. Spirit of God lives in you. He cannot possess you. He can oppress you. He can discourage you. But he can't enter you because the Spirit of God lives inside of you. But the man needed to see something. He needed to see his demons running down the hillside, dying in the lake. This was for the man's healing and therapy at this time. He needed to see those demons in a very tangible way that welded on his mind. Years ago, I was praying one morning in the, the study when it used to be over there, and uh, I think a candle was on. Something was on that caused a red glow to hit off that candle onto the wall, and it was the perfect shape of a heart. And as the as, I'll never forget it. As the candle flickered, that heart would just pulsate. And I thought about the love of God 
at that moment in that dark room as I was praying, God's heart beating for me. It was a very visual moment. Karen said, take me over there and light the candle. I want to see the heart. <laughs> we, need, we like that, don't we? We know it's true that the love of God is there. But don't we love those sunrises when we just sense and see the, the love of God and the beauty of nature or some moment that speaks to our heart? That man needed that moment to see those pigs go down that side into that lake. To be free mentally from the scarring of those demons. So the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into this and drowned. Verse 33, the herdsmen fled. Now, I tell you something you always need to do when you study the scripture, especially the gospels, is to look into the other gospels with the same story. Matthew has the shortest and most concise rendering of this event. But Luke and Mark talk a lot about the man was now clothed at the feet of Jesus and in his right mind. The demon's name is given in one of the other Gospels as Legion. Legion is 6,000 men in a Roman in the Roman army possessed by 6,000 demons? If that's true, there's a demon for every pig that was 6,000 pigs. That's a lot of loss of pork. That's a lot of loss of income. That's a lot of loss to some farmers, is it not? Sometimes the gospel hurts economics. Did you know that? Sin is shut down when the gospel has inroads in a community. Yeah, some of the great revivals in all of America swept through towns, bars shut down. Sinful establishments went out of business. It happened in the book of Acts when Paul was preaching and and folks left idol worship and all the shops that sold those little idol things went out and, and there was trouble. There was trouble. Notice in verse 33, the herdsmen fled and Going into the city, they told everything. Now, to their credit, notice it says, especially what happened to the demon-possessed men. The pigs were part of the story, but they wanted to talk about this demon-possessed man who was free. Notice the man, not the two men. One responded, one did not. Verse 34, and behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus city emptied out and when they saw him they begged him to leave to leave their area one of the saddest verses in all the bible here you had a man who was tormented and demon possessed part of your community but not part of your community no one would go near him the tombs were blocked off this way was blocked off this man was in and these people weren't they weren't, they were, what were they thinking about? They were thinking about their pigs. They were thinking about the money. They were thinking and mad that Jesus had, had well, the demons killed the pigs. Chapter 9, verse 1 should be hooked on to the end of this story, so I'm going to read it for you. Chapter 9, verse 1 
and getting into the boat, he crossed over and came into his own city. What did Jesus do when he was confronted by these townspeople that said, you know, he turned and he got in his boat and he left. This is important. He didn't try to talk him into it. He didn't present to them, look, what's wrong with you people? This is a man who was tormented and now he's free. He didn't try to guilt him into it. He didn't try to manipulate him. He didn't give him philosophy. He didn't give him psychology. He didn't try to bend him. In. He, just, he just left. He never forced himself on anyone. This is important because we are evangelists here. We share the gospel. And there are those who say, no, thank you. You can't do anything with that. You can't. You can pray for them, you can love them, but there's a time in the gospel message you just turn and leave because they're not ready, they won't receive it, and you can't make them. Jesus came over to that other side to reach that man, specifically. He would have loved to reach all of them, but that wasn't possible. <laughs> if, you, if you're taking numbers, and you're writing numbers in the book, and you've made all this trip, you got one person, one person who got saved, and boy, what a wasted trip. You know, we, you know, if you're riding back, if you're one of the disciples, like, we could have done so much more back. Boy, this was a mistake, man. And who's going to, who knows what's going to happen to that guy afterward? One of the other gospels tell us, it says, he begged Jesus, let me go with you. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Go back to your own people. Go tell everybody in the countryside what great things the Lord has done for you. Go. Oh. Wow. Wow. Give you, give you three things. This is the gospel to the other side. This is the gospel to those who are so far gone. Notice we must rely on the Holy Spirit when dealing with people. If you've got your little evangelistic kit and your little toolbox and, and you've got your way to share it and you've got your verses and you're going to get a scalp, you know the old Indians, if you're going to grab the head, choop, and, and get your spiritual scalp and I, you know, I led somebody to Christ and there they are and everybody. If, if you're, if, when you talk to people, you must first understand that you know nothing about them. You don't know what they've gone through. You don't know what they know and they don't know. You know nothing. You must rely on, because everybody you talk to is going to be different. You've got to rely on the Spirit of God to help show you how to share the gospel. Now, the gospel doesn't change. Christ died for their sins, but how you share it. I talked to a, a tall red guy named Werner years ago on the ship. And Werner came to me, and he'd been come to the Bible study, and I could tell the Lord was convicting him of sin and of his life. And he, he, said, he said, Mike, I had a dream the other night. But see, if you're just so fast on sharing, the, you just want to, you're not listening to people. We're not listening to people. He said, I had a dream the other night. I said, tell me about your dream, Werner. He said, there was a river, and there was a, a, a tree that grew down around that river. 
and its roots went down into the stream, and it was beautiful, flourishing, and then there was a tree way off in the desert that was drying up and dying. And he paused, and his tears filled his eyes. I said, Werner, which tree are you? He said, I'm the one out in the desert. And I led him to Christ right there. We don't know what's in people's hearts. We don't know. Everybody we talk to is a unique individual who Christ can reach. But we need to be quiet and listen to the Lord when we're dealing with people. Steve had a good statement the other week that he read out of a book. He said, talk to God more about people than people about God. Talk to the Lord about those people all the time. And then the few moments you have, the few instances you have, the Spirit of God will speak through your heart. But he won't do it if you got your program, if you got your verses, if you got your set way of sharing. You know, and man, I've, I've been on door-to-door visitation with, with, years ago with another guy. We got some young teenager in a garage and it was hot and sweaty. And we just beat that guy up with a bunch of verses. He prayed the sinner's prayer just to get us out of his hot garage. He did. Man, I wanted to get out of the hot garage. We were walking down the road. And my buddy goes, well, you got saved. Praise the Lord. And I said, I don't know what he had. He got air conditioned. Just a minute. He just got out of that hot garage. When people aren't ready, they aren't ready. And rely on the spirit of God in talking with people. You've just... You just don't know how to, I don't know how to do it. I don't. Number two, where men cannot go, Jesus has no problem with. Not a bit. I can't go into the heart of a human being. He can. And by the way, all those folks that we avoid, those are the ones that are closest to the gospel. They got all the tattoos, they got the piercings, they got the hair all over the place, their clothes are weird, they're just, they're the closest to getting saved. We judge on the exteriors, we think, oh, that person would make a fine Christian. Then they don't, no. It's the guy that's cussing, it's the guy who's drinking, it's the guy who's wild into sin, they're the closest Go where Jesus isn't afraid of any human being. And neither must we. Such confidence we should have in the message of the gospel that Jesus can alter and change anyone's life out there anytime. He addresses the demon possessed with courage, with straightforwardness. Share it with confidence. You know, get your Bible and just say, you, 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 wouldn't, you wouldn't want to get saved, would you? I didn't think so. No, I have exactly what you need in Jesus Christ. He can save you. My friend Don Morey that I mentioned last week came out of, a, came out of that coma. They say he's talking, he's, he, he's, he's alive. I'm going to make a beeline to my friend when I go up there next month. I'm going to sit with him and say, Don, do you know where you'd go if you died? Because you just almost did. But I'm going to listen to Don, and I'm going to listen to his heart and rely on the Spirit of God because he can save my friend 
He doesn't know him as a savior. Number three, there is no case that's too hard for Jesus Christ. Who have you given up on? Who have we given up on? They're too far gone. They'll never change. I'd ask for a show of hands, but I think every hand, including mine, would go up if I had asked you, have you ever said, they'll never change? There is no case too hard for Jesus Christ. None. You think, you think the disciples got an eye-opener that day? He had, he had dealt with people oppressed by the devil. He had never dealt with people possessed by the demons. And yet he stepped out of that boat and that man was clothed in his right mind at the feet of Jesus Christ. Incredible. You know that's the story of all of us. And I close with this. We were all estranged from the Lord. We were all enemies of Christ. Everyone in this room. Everyone. And he came, if you know him today, he came and saved us. We weren't too hard a case for him. We were rebels at heart, and he broke down that rebel heart and, and rushed in and entered us. And thank God we are on that side of grace and of faith and of Christ. We ought to be the ones pouring that out to other people. Never forget the tombs he called you out of. Never forget the death he pulled you away from. Never forget the pit that he jacked you up out of and set your feet on a solid rock. And he can do it to anyone.